And for me, the best brands are the ones that create movements that have community at its core, where the people, i.e. the customers, the users, the partners, are organized in a very clear manner around a brand to essentially achieve whatever goals, mission, and values that the brand wants to actually put out there in the universe. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Kobe Fuller, a seasoned venture capitalist who deeply believes in the power of community. Kobe is a general partner at Upfront Ventures, the largest and longest serving venture fund in Southern California. He's led investments in companies including The Way VR, Cordial, Bevy, The Mighty, and MetaCX. Over his career, he's invested early in notable companies including Exact Target, sold to Salesforce for $2.5 billion, and Oculus, sold to Facebook for $2 billion. Outside of VC, Kobe was the CMO at Revolve, one of the largest global fashion e-commerce players. There, he built a massive community of influencers. As a black VC, Kobe wanted better visibility into his own community and couldn't believe that a centralized network of black professionals didn't exist yet. So he founded Valence, a community that's on a mission to unlock the global combined power of black professionals to create massive economic and social progress. In this episode, Kobe shares what VC is really like, how brands can create movements and how he's building Valence. So let's jump right into it. Well, Kobe, thank you so much for joining me today on Create Community. I'm super excited to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to have the conversation. Awesome. So to dive into it, I love learning a little bit about how my guests actually became community builders in the first place. I don't think that anybody really sets out to become a community builder. We all kind of fall into it in in one way or another. So let's go back to your early journey. Where did you grow up? So I grew up just south of Boston, a suburb called Milton, and was just like any other kid, had dreams of playing sports, actually. I loved uh, basketball. That was my first passion. And then also kind of navigated into a career running track, and that's ultimately where I spent a lot of my time. But Milton, Massachusetts, Boston areas where I, I grew up and... You know, also fell in love with uh, sporting teams like the Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics. And I really consider Massachusetts a core part of actually who I am. Even though I live in Los Angeles, I very much have a Boston grounding in me in terms of the, the culture that was there uh, amongst many things. But that was where I grew up. That's super cool. We'll dive into a few of those things. But I'm curious, what were you like in high school? Were you always kind of entrepreneurial or how did you get into it? I mean, I was kind of a, a nerd athlete is how I'd <laughs> characterize myself. I ran track and then loved computers, got into computers by messing around with computer that my dad brought home. He used to work for digital equipment back in the day, if anyone remembers that company. And I saw this device and I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? I want to play video games on it and started hacking around and downloading games off of my 14.4 baud modem, if you remember even that type of technology. And then realized as some of these games got more computationally intensive, 
the computer wouldn't really be able to run those games anymore. And I used to ask my dad, like, oh, just get me a new one. He's like, no, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I still buy you new computers when you want to play more video games. But then I learned how to find ways to optimize performance of the computer through either tweaking the operating system or taking the little pennies that I was saving up from my allowance money to you know, upgrade the motherboard and processor. And that's kind of how I really got to understand how computers worked. And that turned into me being able to find a job at the local town hall doing IT support and really kind of, you know, make some money on the side while running track and doing my, you know, staring academics as a high schooler. I love that. And how did you decide to go to Harvard? Yeah, kind of random. For the longest, Harvard was just a name on a red line T-stop to me. <laughs> and didn't really spend much time thinking about it as a place to go to school. And I really got exposed to the Ivy League in a very serious way as I really got good grades in school and was really, really fast on the track, was one of the fastest sprinters in the country. And I started getting all these letters from Ivy League schools and saw how people were reacting to you know, places like Harvard and Yale. And I was like, okay, well, I just start checking these places out and you know, took a tour, got recruited by the team and got in. <laughs> and so then I realized, like, wait a minute, like I got in it's a pretty exceptional place. Why not go? So it was one of those places that ultimately I didn't have this dream of going to Harvard as a little kid. It was really one that got exposed to me through them finding me based on the performance I was exhibiting in the academic and also athletic arena. That's absolutely incredible. I'm curious. So when you were at Harvard, how did you find your sense of belonging and community while you were there? It's a good question. Well, a lot of it actually was grounded in athletics. So I actually ultimately became captain of the track team so the track team itself was a real key place for me in terms of the folks I spent time with and just having a group of fellow teammates that day in day out were putting work in on the track and on the field and then traveling around the country to actually compete and perform so I got a real sense of community through that experience and on top of that a lot of what's really cool about Harvard and how you expose to so many different individuals, small walks of life, is the conversations you have in the dining hall. So me, I would meet so many interesting people just at any random hour of the day, eating in the dining hall and just uh, spark up a conversation with random folks. So that's how I got to know a lot of the you know, people from all walks of life and how I really kind of found different pockets of community with, let's say, the track team being the core community that I identified with. I love that you mentioned that, you know, because you can really get into a bubble. I know that that was definitely the case for the business school that I went to. Here in Toronto, there were definitely kind of like cliques of people. It was very small. We kind of had this like, it was called the marketplace, which is kind of like the central area of, uh, of our campus. Yeah. You know, I kind of had my core group of friends and my core group of interest, but I would meet so many other groups just kind of hanging around that area. So I totally yeah. get it. It was interesting too, in terms of, you know, how at one point I actually ended up being as a community leader, i.e. captain of the track team, it wasn't something that I just thought ever would occur. It was something that my teammates essentially, you know, asked me to do through vote at the end of my junior year, where they saw me as being a leader to bring the team to the next level, which I thought was one, humbling, but two, in practice, it helped really kind of form a lot of who I am today in terms of having that responsibility and accountability towards 
leading a group of people to a real clear goal. And that case was trying to win a Ivy League championship and real drive performance on and off the field. So that was something that I found to be really, really viable experience that I got from my time at Harvard. I can totally see how you took that across your career. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got into VC? Did you plan on it or is it something that sort of happened? Yeah, it was something that I first got exposed to while at Harvard. So while I was there, a buddy of mine who was also on the track team and in addition to that, played soccer and it was a member of the Jamaican Junior National Soccer Team, had an idea around using the internet to connect soccer players with recruiters during the late 90s. And during that time, we built out this concept and were able to raise a couple million dollars in angel capital to ultimately create a website that became one of the highest traffic soccer sites online at the time. And it was midway through building out this platform that we went out to raise venture financing. And that's when I started getting exposed to this whole universe of, of VCs. And then I realized, like, wow, like, this is person that comes to our office and asks us all these intrusive questions and tries to understand what makes us tick and, and if this is a really good business. And then has the ability to either give us money or walk away and find the, the next better company to invest in. And I, and I was just so enamored with that person's role. And I was like, who is that person? They look pretty important. And they also have the privilege of being able to just learn what makes a great company become what it is. So then that's when I tried to find a job in venture right out of school, literally sent physical letters to every Boston-based VC at the time. And most of them actually didn't respond back. I mean, a few did and sent me a physical letter back just saying, no, get some like, real experience because you don't hire people straight out of school and call us later. It was a year of banking that I had to go through where I then post just kind of getting, I guess, the, the crappy anatomy doing you know, pitch books and all sorts of crazy Excel models that I was able to have the opportunity to join a firm called Inside Venture Partners based in New York that recruits relatively young professionals in their career to be in the role of venture capitalists, which pretty much niche level analysts, sourcing deals, smiling and dialing, emailing and cold calling folks. And that's kind of how I was able to find my way into the field was just having the fortunate opportunity to get one of those very few roles at Insight at the time and really try to um, prove I could do it. What a unique path to it. So I think that VC is something that looks very glamorous. What's it really like based on your years of experience in it? What do you really love about it and what keeps you going through the grind? It's fun because for me, I just enjoy the journey of entrepreneurship, of company building, of being able to work with passionate founders that have an amazing idea and many times are just absolutely crazy to the extent of what they're willing to put in to make this idea come to life and the ability to be a part of that journey, give these founders money. And in many cases, these ideas don't make it to be multi-billion dollar companies, but when they do, it's just a very, very, very awesome ride. And it's almost one too when the actual ride's finished, i.e. an exit happens where then you as an investor generate the return that you're 
pretty much paid for your job to do to actually generate for your investors and LPs. It's almost like that's like the most exciting, most exciting and also depressing time in terms of what happens with that company, because that's basically signifies an end to that relationship. And that's why lots of VCs will invest multiple times behind the same founders because they trust, they know that founder has a proven track record. And also that journey is one that they have prior experience with that founder going on and they want to go on again. But for me, it's all about enjoying the journey along the way, because if you don't enjoy the journey, then you're just going to have a very miserable time in the job because there's so many ups and downs, lefts and rights, twists and turns, roadblocks you'll hit, things that will just be very stressful as both the founder building a company, but also as a VC trying to support the founder to help realize that hopeful, you know, amazing outcome at the end. And then Additionally, on top of that, VC is a very, very, very competitive field as it relates to once you're in it, just finding the absolute best deals and being able to win those deals because there's so much capital out there being deployed behind only so many companies that actually have the ability to generate those outsized returns. So you're constantly talking to founder after founder trying to find that that right unique one that you're willing to put capital behind and you actually have the ability to win. So it means that you're pretty much just out there talking to a ton of folks, unfortunately telling a ton of folks no that there's not a fit in terms of you wanting to invest in them. Many times these these founders are telling you no as well. So it's a rejection from all angles and and you got to be okay with that being a lot of your job is just the word no until you find a relationship where it is a yes on both sides. So what I find really fascinating about Upfront, the firm that you're at now, is that you've invested in a lot of community-led businesses like Bird, The Wing, Mighty, Goat, recently Bevy. So as a firm, what draws you to them and what do you look for in those founders? I don't know if there was actually an intentional firm-wide thesis around community, but I think a number of us naturally realize that communities themselves are incredibly valuable. And if those communities help serve as an anchor towards building a business, whether that is a community aimed at connecting the world's population around the theme of, you know, health, mental health, and physical health, you know, that's something that's quite powerful. And that's how, in my opinion, movements are built or Bevy, which is community building software that enables any brand, whether it be B2B or B2C to better run and manage their own community, that's also really, really exciting to play a part in so that you're actually not as concentrated in one end community, but an underlying layer that can power the communities of tomorrow. And for me, the best brands are the ones that create movements that have community at its core where the people, i.e. the customers, the users, the partners are organized in a very clear manner around a brand to essentially achieve whatever goals, mission, and values that the brand wants to actually put out there in the universe. I mean, those are the best businesses in my mind. So I think for us, we naturally gravitate towards a lot of community-led businesses because those businesses usually have the ability to stand the test of time and have better competitive differentiation relative to other of their peers that are out there. So it's something that I think naturally a few of us partners just have a bend towards. 
Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I completely agree with you, hence this podcast. So I'm, I'm really excited. We'll dive into it a little bit more a bit later about how brands can actually create these movements. But before that, I think it's really interesting. Like, I think what makes you very suited to the, the role that you're in now is that you've also been an operator. So you were the chief marketing officer at Revolve, and you've built an influencer community there. Can you share a little bit more about that? And what is Revolve? So Revolve is now you know one of the world's leading fashion e-commerce players selling both women's and men's contemporary and luxury apparel was founded I think somewhere like 15 years ago or so based here in Los Angeles and I joined the company in 2011 as CMO and was responsible for all things customer acquisition retention and also site experience and community engagement both in terms of the customers and then eventually influencers. So when I got there, you know, influencer marketing was only a small area by which they were spending their time marketing the business. You were working very loosely with bloggers and collaborating on different sort of editorial pieces, but it wasn't a real kind of pillar of how we're going about marketing. And when I jumped on board, one of the first things I did was just one, really, really revamped how we're going about the basics of just paid marketing and acquisition. So taking up our paid search strategy and SEO strategy and also email marketing strategy to the next level, as well as creating a better, robust site personalization experience. But the one thing that is really important to any consumer brand like Revolve is that emotional connection with the consumer and how do you actually generate that? And part of the things that really focused on were just incredible photos, creative, and ways in which we could actually just emotionally drive our consumers to be compelled to buy our product. And then one of the things that really made sense as Instagram started emerging on the scene and Instagram being a very visual social platform was that we could leverage influencers to do a lot of the marketing and merchandising for us because they were now experts in their own right with regards to how they were taking photos with the clothes that we're selling. So we started experimenting with a series of bloggers turned Instagram influencers in terms of these pretty integrated campaigns that were them posting pictures at potentially Coachella wearing our merchandise that may also flowed through a on-site digital campaign that we're doing. And we started seeing pretty incredible ROI around how we're leveraging these influencers. At the time, we're paying very little or potentially nothing for these influencers to, to do this. And we realized the performance was at the level or in some cases beating what we're seeing with traditional paid marketing activities. So we started really just tripling down on this effort, started integrating full experiential marketing tactics where Again, Coachella events, I helped throw the first Revolve Coachella Festival party back in 2013 that generated an incredible amount of our earned media and it leveraged the influencers that we brought to that party to amplify it to the next level. And it just became a machine. And what you see today in terms of where Revolve's taken it is just absolutely incredible in terms of not just you know hundreds of influencers, which was kind of probably the level that we were working around when I was there, you know, it's thousands uh, from some of the major ones to a long tail set of influencers that have been leveraged with software and, and, and data-driven tactics in terms of who to leverage for what actual item of clothing and how much to actually pay those influencers. So it's, it's become 
a real clear effort that now many brands have used today. And I think the one thing that is the hardest thing to apply on top of all influencer marketing is to actually have an authentic connection with the influencer itself. So when I was there, it was more than one where we're just kind of being very transactional in terms of how we're asking influencers to work with their brand. But we actually looked at a lot of these influencers. I mean, they're family, they're friends. We're not only kind of working together, but we're also having dinner together, hanging out together. And it was a nice organic relationship so that these influencers, when they're being asked to post a photo or do a collaboration with us, they were really proud of whatever they were doing in terms of the actual end product that was going on their social handles. And I think that is the X factor that anyone wants to achieve with regards to influencer marketing is how do you actually achieve a true direct connection with your influencer and then create a community with those influencers. So it's not just them feeling like they're one person working through a ball, but they're one of many people that they actually like being associated with is now part of, of the case, case the Revolve brands. So I actually think that community-driven influencer marketing is extremely, extremely important regards to how you think about influencer marketing in general and how you get leverage out of the actual tactic. That makes so much sense. And I think that's kind of the missing piece, you know, the community and the authenticity that you mentioned that a lot of other campaigns are sort of missing because, you know, the influencer marketing is definitely blowing up and you were really at the forefront of it. But now there's so many to choose from. And I think it's all about finding that perfect fit and really like building that relationship and your message comes across as authentic. Awesome. So I'm super excited to shift gears here and chat about the community that you're building. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to start Valence and what is it? Valence is a community that is built from bringing together the world's Black professional talent in a both digital and physical experience with the overarching goal to help one another get to the next level and, and find their path wherever they happen to be in their relative path towards professional success. And how we're doing that is one creating a central place for them to actually go. And in this case, it's a digital networking platform. And the idea is that you as a Black professional could come to Valence and be able to connect with other people that for some reason or another, you may not have realized actually existed in your field. And part of this was actually really kind of inspired by the underlying dilemma that we're seeing with regards to whether it be recruiters looking to hire more black talent, but for some reason not knowing how to find them or funders trying to back more black founders, but not knowing where to find them and really trying to create a central place where these people could actually be and easily connect with those either capital sources or hiring managers. And the next thing that I realized when there's a gap around how those folks actually find black talent that I could actually connect all this black talent together, that would be even more valuable for the black talent universe versus the hiring managers or the funders because for some reason or another, our community has been naturally siloed in either ERGs, alumni associations, or random groups potentially someone has put together. So why wouldn't we try to create an experience where we could easily find, connect, build with one another, learn from one another, and actually have that peer bonding and networking experience? And that's really a lot of the core of what we're trying to build with Valence is actually create connectivity within the Black community and to be able to drive social progress driven by that peer connection, but also by resources that we're either practically giving them through a lot of the tools that we're building, as well as the community we're bringing together outside 
of just the black professional population, but for those folks who really want to invest in seeing our community get to the next level. So it was an idea, honestly, it was really more of a passion project, not really intended to be a business that came to me about two years ago. And then realized after overwhelming feedback around the concept that I had here between both their other VCs as well as hiring managers that wanted to pay to access the platform that we should make it a business. So we had upfront put a million dollars in incubation capital into the business to get off the ground, start smoke testing the idea out in the wild through a series of in-person events, launched an alpha about a year ago this time, got really good perception from the community. Fast forward to where we are right now, we have about over 11,000 people on the platform, all organic, no outbound marketing really. That's amazing. And yeah, we've raised a series A since then led by one of my good friends, Hans Tung at GGV. So we properly capitalized the business to really get the next level. And I recruited a CEO to run it full time, a guy named Guy Primus, who I've known for a number of years now. Guy and I first met uh, while I was at uh, a former fund called Excel Partners. And he was raising money for a company called uh, the VR company, which was a VR platform. And I was uh, looking at his company and we, we immediately bonded of the fact we're one of only a few black professionals that either of us knew of in VR. I was, uh, you know, formerly uh, a personal investor in Oculus. So that was kind of the bond we had. And, and that's part of what we're, we're trying to, to build here is create a way in which those serendipitous encounters that Guy and I had could actually be a little bit more structured in terms of how you can find another black professional that could be in your field or in your you know, geography and, and succeeding that you could actually help with or just kind of connect with. Guy and I just maintained contact. And then as I realized, you know, I need to really bring on a full-time leader to run this. He was the first person on my list to convince to, to go on this mission, which truly is a mission. And he, he came on board full-time as CEO spring of this year. And then, you know, perfect timing in terms of, you know, we're around this country to really kind of hopefully have a scalable platform to address some of the issues that now many people are seeing for the first time that have been here for centuries that hopefully Valence could have uh, as a part in terms of solving some. So anyway, that's, that's, that's Valence, which is it's an exciting community to be really part of, you know, helping form. And I'm, I'm really excited for where it's going. That's amazing. Beyond impressive. So you touched on this and, you know, we're recording this September 2020. I'm curious, how did you and your community members support each other during BLM while everything was going on? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's an intense time to say the least. One of the things that we, we leaned into pretty quickly, even before the events of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters movement really kind of started becoming front and center in this country, but from sort of the impact of COVID, the importance of bringing people together through the platform, we just jumped on. So we created a series of virtual events and this became a way in which we could bring together you know, thousands of our members in a virtual venue with structured programming to really help just be there for one another and just have inspiring stories and insights from you know, many leaders across the Black community. And we, since I think about spring timeframe, had about so actually four marquee virtual events and also a series of weekly fireside chats with you know prominent DCs, both Black and non-Black DCs. So some of this is just kind of creating just a community virtual congregating experience. And that's been something that I know a lot of members have really valued. And also some of what we just do as a community is just 
you know, speak to our community and just be there for the community. And the platform itself is operating in a way where community members can be there for one another. And what, how we do that is through a structured micro-mentorship experience called Boosts, where people can raise their hand and say that I'm here to help out another member of the community in some area that I feel like I have some expertise and then people can apply to get one of those boosts. And if you get accepted, then you're connected to then have a 30-minute micro-mentorship section during whatever type of format you want. And that's something where we've really put a call to action out to our community to be there for each other. And I don't know what the number is right now, but as like a month or two ago, there was roughly 7,000 boosts offered from our community. And I'm sure the number has been you know, much much larger than that uh, right now. But that's some ways in which we're just trying to create uh, structured mechanisms for the community to be there for one another. What do you think makes this community magical? Are there, you know, like any really amazing success stories that jump to mind of people connecting and getting their next opportunity or something like that? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is there's so many micro stories that I'm not even aware of that are exciting to me because like it is operating as a, as a true community. So I know people have definitely met other people where they've gotten you know, funding from the connection or they've definitely gotten jobs, meet different employers be coming to us to recruit from the community or helping to placing people into either the next step of the career, which to me is just so exciting to see that Valence has played part of that. You know, I personally have done countless boosts for folks and to me it feels like, you know, just offering 30 minutes of my time and half the time I feel like the 30 minutes I've offered you had no value, but I've gotten feedback from people I've spoken with where it was so impactful, some of the things I said to them, which then influenced their trajectory where they took their business and then allowed them to either get some key customer contract or raise capital from some investor they're trying to pitch. And it was just me just giving 30 minutes of my time. I thought was nothing, but was super valuable. I know some people were able to pitch reporters or editors they had no connection to that then got a really you know, large write-up about. And I know it's like, that's just my personal account in terms of what's happening. But again, we have thousands and thousands of connections that are happening organically between, between people that are facilitating those types of advancements people are able to yeah. really see. And the overall mentality and mindset we're trying to push with balance is that you should be there to help one another. And I truly feel like that's kind of the sentiment that people are feeling as they come to Valence. You know, it's, it feels like a, a true family and an area of support and, and people are all there to succeed and get to the next level at whatever stage in their career, but also regardless of what stage they are in the career to put a hand backwards to help lift someone up as well. So it's, it's really kind of that reciprocal benefit. That's so rewarding. I know through my experience as well with Fuck Up Nights, just seeing some of those connections form, people ironically finding their next co-founder at an event all about fucking up or finding their next yeah. opportunity, or we even have a couple that met at, at one of the events and the number of connections that go outside of that with people just being able to come together under under a shared interest or, or a shared background. It's so, so powerful and so rewarding to see What's your vision for the future of, of Valence? Where is it going? There's a number of areas of it going, but I think one of the outputs is like, how do we think about creating more 
wealth within the black community. I mean, that's a lot of what we're seeing in terms of some of the inequities in this country is this wealth gap is truly there and truly exists because there's been some of this disadvantage that's out there. And for me, one of the things would be great to see is like, is there's an output that we can help create many black millionaires, but billionaires that have the ability to then create a whole like legion of black millionaires. I mean, that to me is super exciting, but part of what we need to do to actually help accomplish that is have a lot of what is our community, our culture permeate through corporate America or corporations at large and outside America so that we are able to have a bigger impact from the board level, the C-suite, senior leadership, all down to all key roles where we're better interwoven into a fabric of how corporate America is just works. And if you see how the large percentage of whether it be sort of, you know, black dollars influence overall sort of the economy in this country, it's, it's so considerable the fact that we should have a bigger piece in terms of how we're actually affecting corporations, affecting business and being prioritized in terms of our voice and our influence and and better represented at all levels across of corporate America. So that's something that I'd love to see us play a part in helping drive change against. And that's what you're seeing in terms of many companies looking to take a stand with regards to diversity amongst their companies and particularly their boardroom. And something that we're also a part of is creating an initiative on the board challenge, which is really a call to action for large public companies to privates to within the next call year or so here, a pledge to add a black board member to their board of directors. And that's something, again, like there are many initiatives are putting out there to help drive meaningful change that is just putting our voices and our influence in the center of just how you know, business is done in this country. That's amazing. I mean, you've already made such a huge impact. And just to know that you've only scratched the surface and that there's so much more influence that you can have. It's so exciting. And I'm so excited to watch it evolve and uh, see it continue to grow. It's really incredible. <laughs> we're definitely early innings here. I feel like we haven't accomplished yeah. uh, much at all, but it's something we're excited to hopefully be able to do. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears here a little bit again, and I'd love to get some of your advice for brands and for community creators. So how can brands measure the ROI of a community? And how do you look at that as an investor? Yeah, so it, it, it's that's actually a really uh, tough question. So the ROI of community, for me, I mean, this one, like, how do you how do you define what community means for your relevant business? But for me, I feel like just community is just the core of any brand. Community is your customers. Community is your employees. Community, it's your partners. It's all these things. And then how you then leverage your community to then drive whatever outcome you're trying to achieve, whatever KPI you're trying to achieve. So that could be internally employee satisfaction. Externally, it could be that promoter score. It could be referral and word of mouth marketing. For me, it's almost like the the lifeblood of a business. So I guess I don't have a good answer in terms of what KPIs you could do to measure your community because it all depends on terms of how you define your community based on your relevant organization. But one, if you don't have a strategy around community at all, that's probably one broken KPI if you don't have a strategy or you're not even thinking about it. So you should at least be yeah. thinking about it. <laughs> Two, there probably should be someone in charge of it. 
So if you don't have someone even in charge of the community, that's also a key issue. So for me, it comes down to those basic things, but it's so interwoven to the fabric of how a business operates that the outputs and the KPIs that get influenced, I think are it's almost like it's so many of the KPIs are relevant to our organization. I think so broadly regards to how communities actually apply to our business that sometimes it's tough for me to decouple like what the KPIs are against that. For sure, that totally makes sense. And I think it's different for each business. And, you know, a lot of it, you can't measure it with an exact number, but you could look at things like customer acquisition, lead flow. There are certain things that you could measure. And for companies that are just getting started, those could definitely be things to look at. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, like community is, is relevant for any individual that touches your brand. It starts from your employees, your customers, to your partners, it's everyone. So defining where do you want to start first if you don't have a community strategy and then go from there. Like just having an internal employee like community experience. Some people don't even think about that, especially a time where where we're remote and everyone, most people are, are working over Zoom if that's kind of the way their business operates. How do you think about making sure that your employees are connected and there's a sense of community internally? Like you probably should start there first if you haven't thought about community at all because it's going to be tough to actually create an external community if internally they're kind of rotten. So that's, I kind of look at that as being super, super important for anyone that's thinking about community strategy is like look internally first to make sure that you actually have something that to the core can, can stand up externally. The most things too are things like, do you have a mission that can be a rallying cry both internally and externally? Do you have a vision for why you exist? Are there values with regards to the way in which you'll actually walk and act to achieve that mission and vision? And those things are then felt internally and externally as you start bringing these people together. So then they start singing from the same hymn book with regards like, why do you exist? Why are you congregating around this brand? And, and that's how I think then people are able to drive movements because this community exists for for a purpose. And then people then really are just emotionally driven to be a part of this community, contribute to the community, and collectively work together to achieve that purpose. And it uh, takes that kind of level of organization, structure, and focus, I think, for any community to actually exist in a meaningful way. I think you nailed it. And I think a lot of companies that are just waking up to the importance of community, that's a really great place to start. And that's the best way to do it. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how community builders navigate their personal communities outside of work and the communities that they're building. So I'm curious, why did you leave the Bay Area for LA? And what makes LA such an exciting place for you to be? LA, beautiful weather. It's hard, yeah. to, it's hard that. to argue with that. But I really... I liked the level of diversity I could find here versus the Bay Area. Diversity on multiple levels. In the Bay Area, I just felt like I was one of just so many people that were in technology in D.C. where I wasn't getting that. It just felt like I was one of just uh, many people doing a lot of the same thing. But two, also, there wasn't a lot of racial diversity I was able to get exposed to in the Bay Area as well. It didn't really... It, it wasn't the same level as kind of what I'm able to experience here in LA. But two, even beyond that diversity of thought, I like that being here in LA, I'm able to access uh, more perspectives outside of the Bay Area that are very much oriented or in the whole creative class and design, UI, and just overall, you know, next generation technologies that are more at the user interface layer versus sort of the underlying sort of technical kind of backbone side of things that Silicon Valley has been really exceptional at leading the way on. So for here, I'm able to broaden my perspectives and take leaps, investing in companies like 
The Way, for instance, which is a company I love to seed around in, which is creating an experience around powering artists to put on motion capture suits and puppet uh, virtual characters in CG environments, whether that's a video game or a CG stream on YouTube or TikTok. And the amazing show we just did was powering the weekend, performing live on TikTok using the wave. I mean, that's a company that okay. you only really could probably find down here in LA versus the Bay Area for multiple reasons. So sure. being able to have the ability to spend time with creatives and other folks that come from different walks of life that uh, some, for some reason, you know, just couldn't find as much of in the Bay Area was something that at least gravitated me towards being down here, but, but don't get me wrong, like I'm in the Bay Area pre-COVID every other week. So I still spend a lot of time out there. I love the Bay Area, but for me calling LA home for some of those reasons that I mentioned, it's made a lot more sense to me to be immersed in that uh, type of environment. For sure. It sounds like there's a lot more of a balance there. What are some communities that you're a part of and why are they meaningful to you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely spend a bunch of time on the religious side of the things. Um, with my, my Christian small group that we meet every Sunday. And that to me is a really important part of just how I can just be grounded in, in terms of my faith. So that's an area that, especially in the last year, I've spending a lot more time in. I still very much work out a ton and do strength training. So I have a few people that I constantly am in communication with that hold me accountable and I hold them accountable with regards to strength training. So fitness community is an area that is really, really, really uh, important to me. And then I tangentially am a part of just putting my head into this whole community of parenting. And my wife, she has a company called Miles Milan that is a kids clothing brand, but also parenting platform focused on taking the fuss out of dressing your child, but also creating resources and information that a lot of this actually generated through just peer bonding and peer networking around just what it takes to actually parent your young child. And that's something that I'm starting to spend more time just uh, out of being, being in that sort of parenting community and learning some of the power of that. So those are some areas which I'd say kind of I spent time was thinking about um, community and the communities I'm naturally involved in. And how do you choose your people? Like the five to six people that are closest to you? Are there certain qualities that you look for? Or is it just something that kind of happens organically? And how do you bring those people together? I think it happens definitely organically. But first and foremost to me is that you just have to be a really good human being. <laughs> and that's just, just so important to me is just your ethics, your morals, and just how you're grounded. And it's hard to clearly articulate what that actually means in practice, but you, I just kind of feel it when I know like a really good human being that I actually spend time with. And then outside of that, I mean, obviously I just have to have a natural poor and just kind of enjoy spending time with this person and one which, you know, we will push each other and hold each other accountable and give each other honest and open feedback and transparency and, and be honest with one another. I guess one thing I, I really truly value is transparency and honesty and really knowing people's authentic selves. And that's the way in which I like to conduct myself is to really truly be an open book. And those folks where I feel like there's this facade or is this barrier that people are putting up, you know, I usually don't resonate very well with those folks where it really is, you know, the ones that they wear their heart in their sleeves. Those are the ones I typically try to um, surround myself with. That's awesome. I totally agree with you there. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? 
I think the word community means to me is a group of people for which you feel like you have a sense of belonging with. And then those people also welcome you and feel that you belong. And you're there for a collective reason that is exciting, fun, empowering, and it also just has some reason behind it. And for me, those types of communities are the ones that are non-toxic, but just like help just create more and more folks that actually want to be a part of those communities that are like-minded and naturally grow. To me, like that's truly what community is, is that feeling of belonging and, and, and people wanting you to belong. I love that. That's such a great definition. Awesome. Well, Kobe, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. It was fun. I had such a great time chatting with Kobe, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can connect with Kobe on Twitter at Kobe Fuller, and you can learn more about Valence at valence.community. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.